Maimonides on Crypto-Judaism To discover some insights on the halachic status of crypto-Jews, we must explore the writings of the halachic master Maimonides. One of his works, Egeret Hashemat, stands out regarding his perspective on the Anosim of his time. His epistle to the Moroccan Jewish community of the 12th century deals with their forced conversion to Islam, as compared to the modern-day Anosim, who are the descendants of those who were forced to convert to Catholicism. This letter is a response to the to an identified rabbi who wrote to the Jews of Morocco, condemning them as heretics. There is one contemporary halakhic scholar who agrees with this rabbi and considers the Rambam's letter a fiasco. Chaim Soloveitchik believes the letter contradicts the Mishnah Torah and has a flimsy position in a makeshift argument. We will discuss the two prevalent views regarding this issue, either in their Muslim or Christian forms, which is relevant to the modern-day debate about this issue. On one side, the Jewish community helps the Anusim achieve repentance, as is expressed by the Rambam, and the other condemns them, as Soloveitchik clearly indicates in his critique of the Rambam's letter. In the final segment, I will draw from both arguments to seek a reconciliation of the problem raised, incorporating Maimonides' Hilchot Teshuva and other sources regarding the reinstatement of the Anusim. Maimonides writes, now, if he did not surrender himself to death, but transgressed under duress and did not die, he did not act properly, and under compulsion he profaned God's name. However, he is not to be punished by any of the seven means of retribution. Not a single instance is found in the Torah in which a forced individual is sentenced to any of the punishments where the transgression was light or grave. Only he who acts voluntarily is subject as scripture directs, but the person who acts defiantly does that soul shall be cut off. Numbers 1530. For centuries, Islamic law guaranteed the rights of Jews to practice their religion and enjoy some degree of judicial autonomy. Such was not the case for Jews living in Christian lands where the Jewish settlements and the level of Jewish judicial autonomy continued to depend on Jewish communities securing rights and privileges from the host authorities. The Almohads demanded a public proclamation that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is the Prophet. The Muslim oppressors humiliated the Jews to acknowledge through their proclamation of the Islamic creed that Judaism was obsolete and Islam was the only true way to serve God. This could be seen as Jews crossing the line from political expediency to outward idolatry. In his letter, the Rambam states, God will destroy all idolaters. At the same time, it's clear that as long as the oppressor is doing it for his personal satisfaction, satisfaction, he, the Anus, is to transgress and shun death, even if it is in public in the course of persecution. Although some might say that this contradicts the following passage, you shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, Leviticus 19.12. What Maimonides was expressing to them was that martyrdom, the common response of other communities in such a situation, was unnecessary in this case, since it involved only a verbal acceptance, not a change in practice. Especially as Islam claimed to be monotheistic in principle, the Rambam made a case for them to avoid suicide, claiming that it would be a greater Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name, to stay alive and flee to safety when possible. Maimonides' innocent until proven guilty approach is interesting, since he felt that sensible people, however, who possess sound mental, mental faculties, know by clear proofs that all these practices which the Torah prohibited, have no scientific basis but are chimeral and inane, and only those deficient in knowledge are attracted by, by these follies and for their sake leave the ways of truth. 
It is believed that Igeri Hashemat was influenced by Islam in its Arabic literary style. But Maimonides clearly agrees with the Jewish tradition that says the Jews have a sacred responsibility. He quotes from Isaiah, You are my servant in whom I glory. Isaiah 49.3 The Rambam goes to great lengths to, to claim that there has never been a persecution as remarkable as this one. The same could be said for about the Spanish Inquisition. The clear difference between this type of Muslim persecution and the later Catholic one is that Christian anti-Semites not only wanted a verbal response but demanded to perform a deed or something that is forbidden to do. Maimonides supported crypto-Judaism in his time period, believing if they kept any mitzvah, they were rewarded for doing it out of love for God, not seeking the approval of others. He based this on the verse of Jeremiah that emphasized the idea that God pardons those that he allows to survive. Jeremiah 50.20 The rabbi who contacted the Moroccan Jews before Maimonides believed that at the moment you accept another religion, you deny the covenant and become a member of that other religious system. He stated, when you keep a mitzvah, you do so as a Gentile and no longer as a Jew. He claimed that secret prayers and religious practices thenceforth become loathsome in God's eyes. The commandments, if he performs them, he will get no reward for performing any of them. The rabbi claimed they received double condemnation, while Maimonides considered that God evaluates everything we do. The Rambam rejected the claim that if a Jew cannot realize the whole, then the part has no significance. Maimonides shows that in ancient Israel, when the Jews were condemned by the prophets, it was because they worshipped Baal voluntarily. In his book, Crisis and Leadership, the Epistles of Maimonides, David Hartman expounds, had the Almohads required Jews to participate in Islamic rituals and practices, had they forbidden Jewish observance in private, then the consequences of such behavioral conditioning would constitute a much greater threat than community that the simple recitation of a faith formula. Maimonides felt that condemning a community is a form of heresy itself, since forgiveness and repentance are basic tenets of Judaism. There is a difference between a court finding someone guilty and personally accusing someone of being a heretic or an idolater, since we are not able to judge the religious character of each person. Maimonides felt Judaism is a comprehensive religious way of life, in which halakha is an instrument that organizes and provides a framework for expressing the relationship between Israel and God. According to other sources, such as Rabbi Shea Adaya ben Maimon Eve Danan, all these are Israelites, even if they left God or denied Him or violated His law. The yoke of the law is still upon their shoulders and will never be removed from them. The Jewish ancestors of modern-day Anusim fled Spain during the expulsion to Latin America and were not able to depart from the areas where the Inquisition started. This happened as it is forbidden to stay in a land where one is compelled to violate one of the priests of the Torah. We must also consider how if a conversa was found keeping a mitzvah, he became a first-rate heretic whom the church designated as someone that needed to be punished. As the Inquisition aggressively pursued them into the New World after establishment there in 1569, reaching a height of persecution in Mexico in 1596, hundreds were eventually caught and prosecuted as Judaizers. Chaim Soloveitchik considered Iger Hashemad a propagandist track which focuses too much on Haggadic text. He agrees with the rabbi that condemns the Moroccan Jews that the Anosim did not rise to the level of the three biblical heroes Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Soloveitchik feels that their outward acceptance of Islam is the problem. The true issue is not then the specific content of the formula but the 
that to which the formula refers, Islam. It could be argued that he gives too much power to other, to another religion, and then tries to assess Islam in academic terms as well. He writes, another religion should be judged by its principles, not by cultic aberrations, as the fundamentals of Islam are monotheistic ones. Disagreeing with Maimonides that Judaism cannot be invalidated by a fourth statement, he goes on to say, but moreover, the defense fails to fill another gap in the Maimonidean position. Even assuming that Islam is not idolatry, or if it is, the Jews are not subscribing to it. It is undeniable that they are assenting to the prophetic character of Muhammad. He quotes in Hedrin 63b, One shall not swear in the name of an idol or make an oath in the name of a foreign deity. So Lovechik does focus on the uniqueness of the covenant of Moses, but falls short in distinguishing between the reality of one faith and the political expediency of accepting another faith only through a verbal agreement. The distinctiveness of Judaism has lain precisely in the insistence of eternal validity of the Pentateuch as interpreted in their old tradition. When this is superseded, Judaism is superseded. For this reason, the denial of supremacy of the Old Testament is, in the eyes of the law, and naturally then of Imanides, the rankest of heresies. Right, Soloveitchik. Modern-day crypto Jews come from another tradition by which they were overpowered, centuries ago, that of the institutional church. Although crypto Jews from the Southwest and Latin America have a more complicated plight than those of the Moroccan Dark Ages, they have both idolatry and supersessionist theology to wrestle with. The doctrine that the Christian church is a new Israel, which replaces and renders superfluous or worse the old Israel, has had fighting consequences in the history of Christian Europe. The attack on Jews in the New Spain was part of the apologetic ecclesiastical campaign to give honor to the Christ and undermine Jewish rejection of him. Soloveitchik's paper could be applied to modern-day Anosim as he draws from authoritative sources such as the Talmud to undermine Maimonides' assertion. These are they that are to be stoned, the idolater, is culpable no matter what, whether he worships or sacrifices or burns incense or pours out a libation or bows himself down to, to it or accepts it as his God, or says to it, Thou art my God, Sanhedrin 60b. This is something that even Maimonides speaks of in his book, The Laws of Repentance. Jews are not required to actually serve other gods, but only verbally assert their belief in them, to be considered idolaters. So Lovechik goes to great lengths to show that Maimonides purposely avoided the subject in the letter. He feels strongly that if idolatry is committed under coercion is of no account, and the entire concept of martyrdom for one's religion becomes meaningless and shall not, never have existed to begin with. To Soloveitchik, it seems that Maimonides' splitting hairs as ritual without belief is a game, not a religious act. He, goes, he even goes so far as to indict Maimonides of being himself a Morano, and stung by the accusation, he willfully twisted or omitted facts to vindicate his conduct. These virulent attacks on the greatest Halakhic scholar of Judaism seem out of place, especially Soloveitchik tries to read the heart of Maimonides and condemns the Anusim altogether. The problem is that he assumes the Anusims are scoundrels who struggle with their identity and feel the weight of their sin. He states, Guilt weighs heavily on the Morano. When first confronted with a choice between death or an alien creed, he tells himself that whatever he may say or do, nothing will alter his adherence to Judaism. But his life becomes constant pretense, and every dissimulation brings home to him that, that he has, in effect, surrendered his faith. For if he acquiesces of apostasy at the bar 
of his conscience, he stands convicted of moral cowardice. For all that, for all that the attendant circumstances can plead is that, that it was to save his own life, he betrays his own religion. Soloveitchik does not take into account the Maimonides as attempting to alleviate the problem for the Moroccan Jews. The Roman feels that something must be done to help them, fearing their children will end up lost forever to the people of Israel. To Soloveitchik, the Jewish people of that time had not only to confront daily their persecution, but acknowledge a double life. Their weakness is a form of rebellion, as he further states. If an individual is able to save himself from the power of the wicked king, and does not do so, he is like a dog that returns to his vomit. He is called a willful idolater. This Elijah-like showdown between Rambam and the Anosim on one side and Soloveitchik and the rabbi who were originally condemned on the other seems out of the ordinary. The passage in 1 Kings 18.21 where Elijah questions the faithfulness of the Jewish community deals with their willing cult of Baal, but not being forced by the Canaanites to acquiesce verbally to their deity. Soloveitchik, it's interesting to note that Soloveitchik's rebuttal of Igoret HaShemad stands in opposition of his uncles, uh, Rabbi Aaron Shalavetik's Teshuvah, regarding modern-day Anosim, in which he states, I'm taking the liberty to write about the people of the Americas who claim to be descendants of the Moranos of Spain and Portugal. They must be treated like full Jews in every way, counted for a minion, given aliyot, etc. Maimonides' stance is the same as his father, who in Igoret Nehamad writes to the Moroccan Jews and tells them that their suffering is a sign of rejection by their suffering is a sign of rejection by God, is not a sign of rejection by God, but to be firmly aware of the truth of the religion, of the primacy of Moses among the prophets, and of the immutable nature of his revelation. This part of the letter brings to mind the Kol Nidri prayer written by the Anusim, although Maimonides did not include that in the Mishnah Torah. It is a cry out for forgiveness in the midst of assimilation, something that every Jew has struggled with throughout the ages. Maimonides chooses to use the Agadic story of Rabbi Eliezer from the Ten Marches of Israel to provide encouragement to the Anusim. This piyut recited on Yom Kippur shows the difficulties that Jews face during persecution, but Soloveitchik insists that there is no parallel with the story and does not want the Anusim to think that they have acted, have not acted worse than the great Rabbi Eliezer. This an animosity is strange in the situation similar to what Holocaust-era Jews had to do to survive in Germany, as some of them lived as non-Jews, and no one would dare to call them cowards. For example, Rabbi Oshri, after World War II, wrote in his collection of responsa, Mima Amakim, from the depths, 1963, that he did not condone clearly prohibited acts done in extremists, but was willing to aid Holocaust survivors in their painful process of their spiritual and emotional healing. In the end, many of the Jews that fought the Nazis, and the ones who acquiesced, will ended up dead regardless of their actions. According to Frederick Barr, Jewishness cannot be reduced to a purely halakhic status. It is rather the multifarious and holistic experience which can only be described with reference to the whole panoply of Jewish life. Jewish identity is comp comprised of two key components, ethnic identity and religious practice, and non-Jewish interaction engaged and at times challenged both of these concepts. The concern for Maimonides' charity by Soloveitchik is unexpected since the Rambam emphasizes Teshuvah as he also communicates in the Mishnah Torah. Only through the repentance will Israel be redeemed. His willingness to incorporate the Anusim into the rest of the Jewish civilization was a godly act of hesed on the part of the Rambam. As Hosea 6.6 6 and the Midrash Avod the Rabbi Natan proclaim, Loving kindness I desire not sacrifice, 
the striking aspect of Anasim throughout time is that most maintain Judaism for its own sake and not dependent upon the acceptance or rejection that they might have faced. The modern day situation of Anasim is much more complex. Detractors might say that it's been too long since they departed from mainstream Jewish community. They will also feel that Rambam's 900 year old letter is an outdated source as we deal with the problem in modern times. During this post Holocaust era, is it reasonable to ask for documents and antagonize people of Jewish descent? Or, like Soloveitchik did with the Moroccan Jews, should we focus primarily on their actions and little on the condition they found themselves in? He argues that Maimonides' claims are not centered upon the legal words of Morano's ritual, but on the nature of divine bookkeeping. According to Jewish tradition, an Anus is a Jew forced to convert to another faith who practiced Judaism in private. If we consider traditional sources, someone who converts is in state of karet. One who separates himself from the community, even if he does not commit a transgression, but only holds aloof from the congregation of Israel, does not fulfill religious precepts in common with his people, shows himself indifferent when they are in distress, does not observe their fast, but goes in his own way as if were one of the Gentiles, and did not belong to the Jewish people, such a person has no portion in the world to come. This is from Maimonides' Mishnah Torah. The reinstatement of the Anosim has been a challenge historically, as many of the Sephardic exiles felt deeply unworthy. How could they do adequate penance for their apostasy? The punishment of apostasy is correct, literally a cutting off, a shortening of life as a punishment from God. For a sin which involved correct, repentance seems an insufficient atonement. In the modern-day debate about the Anosim, all sects of Judaism, even the liberal ones, would prefer for them to convert back to Judaism. This will entail negating their heritage, as the Anosim will always be known as converts. Instead, of, instead, if they did the Shuba, which signifies a return to original state, they will live up to Maimonides' vision for the Anosim. This interesting idea, although there are many Jewish sages throughout history that share Soloveitchik's concerns. Hayagawa stated that a Jew who converted out of the faith was no longer a Jew. Regarding Christian Anosim, the problem is exacerbated as Maimonides himself expressed in both Hilchot Mamrim and the Mishnah Torah that a Jew who converts to another faith is no longer a Jew. The following types of people have no share in the world to come and are cut off, destroyed, and excommunicated. For even on account of their very great sins and wickedness, one who converts from Judaism. Yehot Shuba 3.6 On the other hand, Belmei Manadis in other sources in Joseph Karo, the codifier of Shafan Aruch, it stated that the Anosim who practice Jewish faith in secret and who are unable to flee the country are to be regarded as Jews. It should be led to repentance. According to Rabbi Eliezer, Teshuvah can be attained by righteous living through charity and misvot. It is uh, conveyed in Proverbs 21.3, Babylonian Talmud, Sukkah 49. Chapter 2 of Hilchot Teshuvah asks, What exactly is repentance? Repentance involves forsaking sins and removing such thoughts from one's way of thinking and resolving firmly never to do it again. It is interesting to know that Maimonides feels that we must not publicize our sins against God. He quotes the psalmist, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 32.1 In the Tanakh there is an open invitation for reconciliation with God. According to some, it is also a sign of messianic expectation, not only in mystic circles, but by Maimonides as well. Your people shall be righteous, they shall inherit the land forever. Isaiah 60.21 the word land here refers to the land of life, namely the world to come. It is clear to some that Iger Hashemat, in particularly, is a geared 
Teman, that Maimonides expects the Messiah will arrive soon. In the later work, he had a, said that the persecution of Jews under Christian rule in France and Germany and the persecution under Muslim control undoubtedly were the predicted Jewish agony before the advent of the Messiah. In the Mishnah Torah, Hilchot Teshuvah, chapter 51, 5.1 and 5.2, there is an emphasis on personal responsibility, as nobody should influence one to do good or bad, and nobody can force one decree upon one or lead one into into one of the ways. The great significance of the Anosim situation has to do with intent. Do they accept Christianity of ignorance, fear of death, expediency, obligation to the well-being of their families, or a compulsion deriving from a wicked heart? Maimonides views repentance as a shield from punishment, and one must look at the anti-Semite agenda of the Catholic Church in Latin America to understand their plight, especially if we compare it with the different ways the Jews have been persecuted, have been under other forms of oppression throughout the ages, including Egypt, Babylonia, Assyria, Greece, Rome, early Christian Europe, and medieval Europe. In addition, their Catholic or Christian upbringing and their participation in idolatrous practices cannot be denied, unless one redefines Christianity as non-idolatry, as Menachem Hameri did in 13th century provenance. Um, one way to address the issue of the Anosim can be as part of the struggle for assimilation. For Maimonides' issue is not about conversion through coercion, but Abodasarah, willful idolatry, as he writes. A Jew who commits idolatry is considered Gentile in all respects, and not like a Jew who has committed some other sin which carries a penalty of stoning. A convert to the ways of idolatry is considered an apostate. Similarly, a Jewish infidel is not considered a Jew in all respects and is never accepted in repentance, for it is written, none that go to her return do they gain the paths of life. In conclusion, Maimonides uses Isaiah 55.7, a passage that implies to all Jews towards the Anusim. That applies to all Jews toward the Anusim. He states, that the wicked abandon his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. If the Anosim are an adulterous people that forsook the God of Israel hundred years ago, we can let them disappear to secularism or let them be overtaken by Christianity. Or we must consider their plight especially that they're still considered heretics by the Catholic Church to this day. Both Soloveitchik and the many negative responses from the Har- Har- Haredim and Talmudei Rambam on the Sephardic community toward the Anosim seem to come from a fundamentalist fundamentalist perspective, not simply a halachic one. This comes from a political rather than hermeneutic position. As we can see, there are many psychological, social, and spiritual challenges to be addressed in relation to this phenomenon. At the same time, the challenges brought to the front by the religious Jews regarding the Anasim must be taken seriously. The greatest concern is for the Anasim to move forward from crypto-Judaism to a tangible form of Judaism that lives up to the legacy of the Golden Age of Spain. Sephardic Jewry has produced particularly sophisticated cosmopolitan expression of Judaism and as a century after the expulsion of Sephardic communities developed in Western Europe many were founded by ex-Anosim such as Amsterdam, London, Antwerp and Hamburg. In conclusion, Maimonides seems to draw from the Talmud the, the following principle and applies it to the Anasim. An Israelite 
Although he has sinned, they're still considered not a Jew. Okay, we've had three very interesting papers. Um, normally we have a table and three chairs, so I guess we'll just address the questions and you all, you can sit. I can stand over here. Okay, and uh, when you're addressed, then just stand, I guess, and talk to the audience. Um, so, Preguntas? Uh, Questions? Yes. I wanted to ask um, David. David? Yes. What's the question? Um, isn't what you talked about the Solovejic um, um, uh, versus Maimonides attitude part of a general anti uh, group uh, in the Ashkenazi world or a movement even against I mean, from Ashkenazi rabbis against Maimonides is not part of it. So, so this has been brought up before when I presented it at A&M that uh, is there a group of people within the Ashkenazi community who um, who do not accept Maimonidesian thought and that's what they um, is this part of that trend? Um, it's interesting because when it comes down to Halakha, Maimonides is considered uh, the greatest scholar and he's quoted all the time. When it comes down to his um, more theoretical, more uh, philosophical ideas than his question. But even if you took a mystical approach to the unseen question, then you, you must consider, are all Jews uh, coming from Sinai, yes or no? So I, I could also uh, draw from mystical sources and think that the way that a Jew uh, embraces Judaism, the way they, they seek to keep them as vote, that is uh, an expression of their Jewish soul. So even if you take a, a rational approach to the unseen question, like Maimonides did, and then you compare it to the Ashkenazic, trying to find um, ways that, um, that it contradicts or that they don't agree with its position, you can take a mystical approach and also find ways to, to make a case for the unseen. So it's interesting that people pick and choose what parts of Maimonides, um, either theoretical or halakhic standards, they, they decide to pursue. But uh, somebody brought up and said everybody hates Maimonides uh, regarding issues of um, autopsies and things like that in Israel. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Maimonides is quoted every day in, uh, in Yeshivot, especially regarding the, the Mishnah Torah. So that's why I drew from the Mishnah Torah as well, so they won't say that the letter is just some, uh, some fluke in Maimonides' thinking. I just have read about um, the very strong and vocal anti-Maimonidean um, uh, trend among the Ashkenazic rabbis, and Soloveitchik is just one of them, I think. Is that nice? So the anti-Maimonidean um, controversy goes all the way back to the generation of uh, Rambam himself, with David Bosquier uh, in the uh, Franco German School of Law. And it's continued up to this point. Now, today, there is a clear division in the interpretation of Halakhar between uh, the Sephardic world and uh, the Ashkenazic world, which is led in Israel by the um, Hasidim and the uh, 
the ultra, you know, the ultra orthodox. And there is a clear distinction in this interpretation. Let's take, for example, the issue of the Karaim, those, uh, those Jews who only go by the Bible and not by the um, post-biblical literature, uh, the Torah For Sephardim, Karaim are Jewish, just as Jewish as, say, Reformed Jews are Jewish. It's a different school of thought. But for Ashkenazim, they're definitely uh, under parade, cut out once and for all from the Jewish people. And this seems to be exactly what's developing uh, now along these lines of not dealing with Anasim. We don't have Anasim today where Jews are actively being forced to uh, convert. We have Bnei Anasim, those are descendants of Anasim. And the reintegration of the Bnei Anasim seems to be looming as the um, as a, a parallel to this question of the Karaim uh, with a dis differentiation between the uh, Ashkenazic and Sephardic interpretations of Halakha. Yeah. This Solarechik um, <coughs> certainly does lead the, uh, the Ashkenazic uh, Halakhic world, uh, but in many respects he's seen as, uh, along with Rav Kook, as a, as a modernist. Uh, the, the fact that, that you brought out that his nephew came along and contradicted him is, is a, is a is a surprise to me, and it does fall into line with what is developing in, in modern orthodoxy, which very much is spearheaded by uh, Rabbi Mark Angel, the uh, Rabbi Emeritus of uh, Sheriff Israel, the Special Portuguese Synagogue of New York. Um, and I rather imagine that this whole issue will be Maimonidian in its orientation among the modern orthodox. David, do you want to respond to that? Or well, just, just briefly. Yeah. Okay. It, it's just that um, what's going on right now and what um, the different debates about, um, it, even in Israel right now, they have debates about who are the true converts, you know, depending on which rabbi you go to and the 15 um, rabbis that are approved and the ones that are not. But when it comes down to, in the academic world, Maimonides is quoted all the time by, by the Ashkenazi community. Yep. So what I, what I was trying to convey is that this letter is seen out of the ordinary coming from Maimonides. But if you read his philosophical treatise, and when he talks about what's the difference between an Israelite and a Jew, then it makes a lot of sense. So it seems that based on your either political or um, fundamentalist, fundamentalist perspective, you'll pick whatever you like from Maimonides to support your cause. So I want to take a holistic perspective, perspective to Maimonides and try to see how this letter really talks about making a, a, an act of, of chesed, making an act of uh, reaching out to the Amsin as compared to just saying, well, these halachot say this and that's it. And of course we know that you mentioned the 15 rabbis. Uh, the 15 rabbis, of course, keep changing. As we know from this political fight that happened approximately a day ago. Okay, Jerry? Okay, comment? And we will have comments too, so not everything requires so that. Being in my mom, it was the uh, scene, the, uh, well, it didn't change during his lifetime. Uh, he changed his own opinion, uh, became less uh, forceful and more lenient towards them because it was an emotional issue with them. And, and Chalavetchik lived in a completely different era. He, did, he just looked at it, you know, from far away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the interview, of course, the response.
Do you want to mention something about that? Uh, well, I think one of the things, I'm not sure if David mentioned it or not, but there's a question as to whether, uh, well, actually he did mention that, about whether Maimonides himself was um, converted under the uh, reign of the Almohades. Mm -hmm. So I think that really becomes the issue. Did Maimonides' family experience something that was similar to the status of uh, Anusim, you know, several you know, a, a century and a half later, uh, but under Muslim conditions? And so... We don't see, as far as I know, any change in his perspective on the issue. Um, but you know, there, there's contextual differences involved. But I think what David is trying to do is to is to use that as a model to compare to the situation of Spanish and Portuguese Jewry, you know, between 1391 and of course 1492 and beyond. And I think you're you're correct. I think part of Soloveitchik's issue is if you look at the decision of Aharon Soloveitchik, it's actually contradictory within itself. There's a broad explanation that he gives, but if you look at the halakhic teshuvot from the 15th century through the early 20th century, there's a tremendous amount of material that people are not even aware of, and the responses, as Mr. Abraham had said, have been very different among uh, Sephardic communities um, as compared to typically Ashkenazic communities whose social and religious uh, experiences have been very different. And so I think in some sense Soloveitchik and, and that side of the world, shall we say, couldn't understand why martyrdom wasn't acceptable. Um, and it's just a very different experience. And so, uh, you know. Yeah, there clearly is a Sephardic and Ashkenazi difference perspective. We, of course, have lived in different worlds for a thousand years. So it makes sense that we would look at it differently. You know, it's, uh, when I was... Um, uh, in volume two of the Jostic, I make this comment uh, about um, is it better dead than grant or better grant than dead? Is it after him you see me liberty or give me death? Or is the South Carolina motto, while I breathe, I hope? <laughs> better read than dead, better dead than grant. While I breathe, I hope, departing, I think, or give me liberty or give me death. That's what we're talking about. Which choice do you make? Which way do you do it to try to survive for another day? Okay, I think one wants to respond to you. 
I just wanted to make a comment. I think most people think that this is simply a theoretical exercise. Um, you know, if you look at the positions of someone like Rob Moshe Feinstein, who wanted to argue that the validity of Ketubot and of any documentation for reform, anyone who's not orthodox could be called into question. And so people who are not orthodox um, have to consider that issue. It's not just a theoretical issue about the B'nai Anasim and the lack of Ketubot or etc. It's an issue that is, um, the, politi the political issues in Israel uh, have impacts on the entire Jewish world. And so, um, you know, the positions of Reform Jewry and their response uh, and the conservative movement and their Masorti, etc., um, they're all part of the mix, but they're dealing with issues which in many ways are very similar to the, the case of Ben Amosim. Just, you know, different political issues, but the same struggle for legitimization in the land of Israel. So I think it's um, what David said and others has relevance beyond, uh, you know, an academic question. So. But we are forgetting about Israel. 70% are not religious. No, I, 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 well, I agree. Israel is giving the blood and sweat. They are not religious. So there must be another way of settling, settling the issue because they are living in Israel. They are Jews and they, they behave like Jews. And the religious, very, I am not talking the extreme religious. But, 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 but the, the issue is clear, uh, Mr. Abraham had mentioned, uh, Rabbi Mark Anjad, if you look at the situation in the United States, Anjad is out of favor with Haredi circles as well. So even within orthodoxy, there is not one position. Um, you know, the, the modox, the modern orthodox are, and in fact, uh, Rab, uh, Joseph Dosalevichik, who was considered to be the, the leader of modern orthodoxy, is very rarely cited today as a halakhic uh, decisor. And so, you know, I think in some sense, as some branches of Judaism pull in one direction, uh, you know, other branches pull, pull to the opposite, and you have a polarization which is leaving people in the middle without any kind of recourse. And so these decisions are being made by one particular side. Yeah. As a matter of fact, even conservative Judaism in the United States is losing people to both ends. Well, uh, there's two individuals, Rabbi Mark Angel and Rabbi Avi Weiss, uh, have founded a new yeshiva. Uh, but the problem is, is that their graduates are not, uh, at this particular point, if I understood correctly, are not accepted into the rabbinic assembly. So you have Orthodox rabbis that are being produced, shall we say, who cannot, uh, whose uh, uh, leadership and their uh, conversions, anything that you do is not necessarily recognized as Orthodox. So it's, it's a very complicated political situation. Um, so, this is Avi Weiss. Uh, well, Avi Weiss and, and Angel's association. Mark Angel is a product of this uh, Sephardic community of uh, Seattle. Uh, and he realized essentially that um, Sephardic Judaism, with its, uh, with its moderation and its dominant um, theme is chesed rather than uh, loving kindness, uh, rather than but he realized that this this uh, beautiful, moderate, mellow, um, ancient, and it is arch-conservative, uh, going all the way back um, before the development of Halakha, the uh, uh, post-Shulchan Aruch in Eastern Europe, <clears throat> that led to the stringencies that we characterize with orthodoxy today. He realized that this uh, Sephardic interpretation of Judaism was waning. So he, he went about 
he went about uh, a transmutation of Sephardic Judaism into categories that would be acceptable within the Ashkenazic world, and it is a, it's a remarkable thing that he brought about, and it, he's calling it modern orthodoxy. Uh, but Rachel wanted to bring that out. She's very close to Martin.